Welcome, everyone. I have uh, an amazing guest with me today. Uh, her name is Kelly Young. Kelly Young is the executive director of Education Reimagined, uh, which is part of a community dedicated to transforming education and also a big component of the work at Convergence. So, Kelly, welcome again. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, so I just, I'm curious. I looked a little bit at your at your background, and, you know, we've met and we've talked in person, but I'm curious, how did you take a law degree with an anthropology background and end up at Education Reimagined? That is a great question, one I've never been asked before. Um, actually, the, the, the biggest relevant, my, the piece of my background that really has led me here more than others is my anthropology background. So uh, I did cultural anthropology, which has you look at cultures and question and be able to get a sense of your own culture because you're looking at other ways of constructing meaning uh, in the world. And, um, and by having that background, it left me incredibly interested in what are the systems and the culture and the assumptions that underlie anything that we're doing. And so as we're going to get into the work in education reimagined, it was natural for me to want to look at what are the assumptions and the structures and systems in place in education that are driving the results that we're getting as opposed to seeing it um, at the level of um, program or model. Kind of what are the built-in, what, what is our thinking and our beliefs that are underlying all of that that keep driving us to do the same thing over and over again, even though it's not getting the results that we want. Yeah, and I mean, that's uh, it's a very interesting path. And, you know, transforming education, as you know, is complicated as is the lexicon. And I know simplifying that language is something that you're interested in doing, but I kind of want to take that a step further and just in the simplest way possible, which is not going to be very easy, could you just explain to anyone who's maybe listening to this podcast for the first time or just doesn't quite understand what has happened in education and why it needs to be reimagined? Yeah, I'd say probably the simplest way of talking about it is, you know, I th we forget that our education system was created, right? It's not always been around, and it was created at the last turn of the century when we were going through the Industrial Revolution. And so the decisions that were made um, and how to design and to what end, what the purpose of education were, were really contextualized in that era. Um, so... You know, if you put yourself back there, we were trying to get, um, we had compulsory education We because we wanted people, we had lots of immigrants that were coming in. We wanted people off the streets. Um, you know, we don't, a lot of countries have the right to education. We have compulsory education. Um, but we were also trying to get it to everybody. And so we were trying to figure out how do you do that? It's the Industrial Revolution. It's like, okay, we know how to standardize things. So we're going to standardize just like we do in a factory focused on efficiency. We're going to standardize the delivery of education so that we can get it to a mass market. Nothing wrong with any of that. Um, it's just what drove 
what we were doing. There was also a view that we that um, kids had fixed potential, so that you could look at a kindergartner and by the results that they, you know, how they were engaging, and you could know how what kind of level of potential they had. And it was okay to track because you didn't believe that kids had, you know, that there was a growth mindset and that kids had unlimited potential and that that could be expressed at different ages. So, um, uh, so we start seeing all of that, that we designed it um, to uh, deliver standardized education. So we cohort kids by age. We divide learning up into subjects, right? We deliver it in a particular time. We expect all kids to learn the same thing at the same time at the same pace and um, that demonstrate their proficiency in the same way. So, so today, what, you know, fast forward, we actually have very different societal concerns, um, right now, we want all kids. We do not have the kind of economy that now can support people at different levels of education. We need young people who can be critical thinkers, who can be entrepreneurial, who can uh, be lifelong learners, who can be empathetic, who can collaborate with one another. It's a very different set of outcomes than needing somebody to be able to work in the factory. Um, and number two, we need it for all young people. We no longer have a view that it's okay for some and not for others to have high, to, to be well educated. So, um, so that is why we have to reimagine. Is because the current system was designed fundamentally to transfer knowledge and to sort and rank people, and we now need a system that delivers. Uh, that develops people into whole people, <laughs> um, and it does it for all kids, not some kids. Yeah, so essentially we created our system because we needed disposable workers so that if one person got out of line, we could easily replace them. There were 50 people waiting in line for a job so that everyone could just get in where someone uh, left off. So what the shift is going to, and, and what I know that you are passionate about and, and what we're really talking about here, is this personalized learning, this learner-centered movement. Um, but I want to step back for a second and get your thoughts on what you would say to someone, perhaps a veteran educator, who says this, that this new learner-centered movement is just another swing of the pendulum that always happens in this profession? So, maybe. Um, I don't want to throw that out. We are very committed that it not be. <laughs> and that the reasons we don't think it is just another um, shift in the pendulum is, one, there are huge societal shifts happening right now. Um, one of them is the speed at which change is happening. We literally don't know the future that our kids are going to be graduating into and the kinds of knowledge that they need. So it, we fundamentally need to shift what the outcomes of our, of our education system are if we want them prepared for this un, these unknowable futures. Um, number two is that... Um, uh, Todd Rose has done a lot of research and he's recently come out with a book called Dark Horse. And he talks a lot about what of, um, fulfillment and success. What uh, We used to have an, a notion of success as the accumulation of wealth, power, and status. Um, and it turns out now that 65% of Americans, by almost any 
you can cut the demographics in any way you want. 65% of people now believe success is having purpose, a sense of fulfillment, and meaning in your life. Now, why the world doesn't look like we have 65% of people who believe that um, is because they believe they're in the, the, the minority of people. Um, but the reality is society is moving radically um, in this shift for what success is um, and what our society needs to thrive from a, from a civic standpoint, from an economic standpoint, is radically different. So if this, is, this can't just be another pendulum swing. We are not preparing our kids to thrive in this, in this new world. Um, and it's also not a new program. It's not just a new, okay, let's take out the walls of the school. (laughs) Right? It's not. um, And there are people who are talking about personalized learning in a way where it is just another program. It's put computers in front of kids, let them learn at their own pace. In our minds, that that is just a new program. It's not fundamentally redesigning the purpose um, and the way um, learning actually happens. Um, So, you know, another swing, if I think there's no way that our education system survives, our public education system survives, if we can't make this shift. I agree, and that's a powerful statement and one that, uh, again, just wholeheartedly believe in and you... When you experiment, when you get back to the essence of, of teaching, which is meeting kids where they are, which is giving them a voice and empowering them to become better versions of themselves, or however you want to put it, um, the proof is there. Uh, and it only happens if you're not worried about uh, a test. So that's kind of me teeing it up for you, but I, I just can't yeah. get away from... Still, today, in our country, the status quo is so committed to standardized testing. And and I'm assuming, we, we've only met once, but I'm assuming that you think there are better alternatives to that. So if that's the case, what are they? And how do we get away from this commitment to high-stakes testing? Yeah, um, so absolutely. Um, and that we do, we have watched standardized testing and the reliance on that um, actually kill and be a real impediment to the, the great work that's happening around the country for people doing learner-centered work. Um, so what are the alternatives? So we are, at Education Reimagined, are working on a couple of fronts. So um, one, there are no, we do not have alignment across uh, the movement around what are the outcomes. If we didn't, hadn't inherited the set of standards um, and we were really from scratch to say, what are the outcomes in the 21st century that we need all kids to have? Um, what are they? And and to even challenge our notion, do we have? Is it all shared competencies, or are we? Or now, do we actually want diversity of kinds of outcomes that kids have, because they're really building on the strengths, um, interests, and aspirations that they uniquely have, so that there might be some. Um, common shared set of competencies that we all know are basic, like the lifelong learning um, and the ability to communicate well. But beyond a certain set of shared ones, do we actually now want diversified ones? So one is, how do we now, as a movement, we are going to be starting a program to 
um, have a dialogue among diverse stakeholders in the learner-centric movement to say, you know, what do we want to hold a new system accountable to? Um, and then you have to have the question um, of how you would, what kind of evidence um, that you would want. And what we're seeing all across the movement is lots of um, things that are not necessarily new, right? Portfolios, expedition, uh, uh, expositions, um, uh, uh, performance tasks, things that are really focused on what are the competencies that somebody has achieved, um, uh, rather than being able to, to, to demonstrate something in a single way. So, and I will say that one of the cornerstones must be that kids can demonstrate their competencies in multiple ways. There isn't just one way of proving that you that you, that you can um, that you know something or can do something. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of innovation, and there's still a long way to go for us to have a shared view that's clear enough that we can replace the standardized testing regime. <sighs> So I don't want to come across as pessimistic, and, and I think uh, the, the short conversation that we've had, I, I don't think you think that about me, and I don't think the people listening who follow the show think that about me. But, you know, sometimes it's easy to get bogged down. But for those listening that, you know, really are picking up on learner-centered movement, personalization um, for the first time, competency-based education, um, but may not know, you know, who to look at or what district to look at. Um, could you maybe give some examples out there just who's, who's fresh on your mind that just kind of a fantastic example of what uh, learner-centered um, education should look like in 2018? Yeah, so two, you know, immediately come to mind. They're both high schools, so I'll also give a, a, one for an elementary school. Um, but just before I say those two, what what we view as learner-centered education is when, um, when learning is at the center, um, that you actually build relationship and know a child and allow their interests, needs, um, curiosities, and passions to, to allow them to develop their learning pathways, and that over time you are, you are developing learner agency and their ability to operate in community well with one another and with people much different than, than they are. Um, so I'm going to give you two examples. So one is Iowa Big in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, so they're a, um, they're a program where uh, young people go and they are able to spend anything from 100% of their time there to 50% of their time there. Um, and they pick which quote-unquote courses they want to go to this school to get. So they could come in saying, I want English credit and I want math credit. Um, so when they go to um, Iowa Big, Iowa Big does not look at that. I mean, they'd look at it, but the first question they ask is, what are some of your interests and, and what would you like to explore? They're a community uh, project-based um, group, so they have people, hundreds of projects that come in from the community that are real-world problems that people really want solved, that they, um, from businesses, that they are just not high enough priority to put staff time on yet, but would be wonderful if somebody could tackle to community problems, to the government puts problems in, 
and then the young people, based on their set of interests, picks which pro which community projects they want to work on, and they form a team of anywhere from two to you know ten people in the uh, Iowa big community to work on them, and then they develop a plan for what do these projects are what are they going to look like. So their dates are you know there's no blocks, there's no predetermined schedule. It's their schedules are on Google, uh, you know, on a Google calendar. They're setting them, and it's on the back end that standards get mapped to the projects that they do. Um, so that's one example of what it can look like. Um, the Met, which is a school in, it's actually a, it's a district in um, in Providence, Rhode Island, and they are a set of six schools on a single campus. And it's a big picture learning model. It's the original school, so it's been around close to, I think, 20 years. And the young people, again, it is interest-driven. They have advisories for two um, hours a day. They get to, to discover what their interests and passions are through internships. Two days a week, they are in the community on their internships. And through these experiences, they are not just discovering, you know, how to do interviews, how to how to dress in the workplace, how to find a job, all of those things. But they're also discovering who they are, what they love, what they like, and developing the social capital to be able to pursue jobs long-term in the fields that they care about. Um, and it's just like in Iowa Big, the competencies that they're getting on the job are mapped on the back end back to um, the state standards. So um, it is really about relationship um, um, passion and real world experience. So those are two high schools that I think really are incredibly learner centered, where the they're, they're really co creating their their pathways. But that looks like an, at an elementary. Just really quickly to fit yeah. in one more yeah. design thirty nine, design thirty nine campus in uh, Poway County, right outside of San Diego. They are. Um, I'm now forgetting if they're K through five. No, they're K through eight. And they have age bands rather than age single age cohorts, um, and they are an inquiry based school. So you know you don't have the little ones going out on internships, but you do have them going out into the field doing you know soil samples and investigative inquiries um, around the school building. You have them um, doing um, really thoughtful projects around themes. Um, where they're where they are guiding where the projects and the work is going, um, and young people, um, when I visited there, are actively engaged, and nobody is ever sitting in rows <laughs> in desks. They are always they're they're active. They're actively engaged. Um, they are starting their own businesses. Um, so. That's what it look. It looks different at an elementary school level, but not as different as you might think. Yeah, and I just I, I want to have you follow up on the the last elementary um, reference, and then I, I want to come back to Iowa Big real quick. But uh, so at at Inacall, um, where we met, uh, you had um, you had a representative there from Design Thirty Nine. Um, Young Mason was there, and uh, would 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 you just share briefly um, everything that, that that amazing guy is up to? <laughs> yeah, so Young Mason, he is in fifth grade, 
um, his feet you know, did not reach the floor on the big cushion <laughs> no, they on could, the stage. They, <laughs> they stuck right out. And he has started two businesses. Um, one is uh, he has a uh, graphic design um, that he can add uh, logos to and designs to skateboards. And he has another one that is an engraving, and he can engrave with a laser printer on just about anything, I think, except for, he told us, what what he couldn't print on. But um, And these are real businesses that they have set up. Um, and uh, and the part of the story that his, um, his mom was there, but Mason did not tell from the front of the room, was that he was diagnosed with all sorts of things when he was a young person, a little guy. Um, He's still a little guy, but when he was um, very young. And the basically, people were telling him that he was not going to be able to learn and diagnosed him with anxiety and ADHD and all sorts of things. Um, and what's int- the reason I share that is because it, it, you saw him on the stage. Yeah. He was dynamic, articulate, thoughtful, engaged, um, you know, as a 10-year-old. And if the system had been allowed to run as they wanted it, he would have been in special ed, um, you know, on a very different track because they would not have allowed him to be in, a, in the kind of environment that allows him to learn. Yeah, and you're right. He was um, just, forget kids, just one of the most uh, amazing people I've ever been able to meet. And for a lot of reasons, but for me, one thing really stuck out, and that was that he, in my opinion, because he was given, um, you know, given a space where he could be himself and, and figure out who he is and what he was truly interested in and be supported along that journey, that 10-year-old boy was self-aware, he was self-confident, and he he understands life at his age. And so to anyone that says these kids are too young to do this or do that, I encourage you to go back through uh, the student panel um, at the Ina Cole Symposium earlier in October and just listen to all of these young people talk, and um, they will definitely prove you otherwise. Absolutely. And we also had some, the moderator from that panel was from Iowa Big. Yeah. So, um, Jamar was amazing. Um, and what's really, I totally forgotten, and, and I've never shared this on air before, but uh, I was talking with Trace Pickering last week, who is the executive director uh, of Iowa Big. And what's really kind of crazy is that. Five years ago, I was at a different school, and I didn't know what I was doing or or what I really wanted to do, but I just knew something had to change. And so we, uh, a colleague and I really started to dive into project-based learning and, you know, got on the Internet and did some research, and we, we stumbled upon Iowa Big in their early days, and we actually reached out to trace and had a google hangout conversation with him and hadn't talked to him in in five years and then at inacall i i met jamar and heard him reach back out to trace and, and heard about all of the developments with them but you were right that for anyone that wants a great model of what kind of uh, you know what doing looks like 
as opposed to just talking about what education can be. Iowa Big is doing it, and they are a really great example. Agreed. So I have one final question for you. Um, You know about the Clayton Christensen Institute, and for those that don't, Clayton Christensen is a professor at Harvard that has created an institute, and they they do a lot of work um, around innovation and and some other uh, key research pieces. But one thing I want to point out just briefly before I ask you the question is that basically everything can be broken down into sustainable or disruptive innovation. And I would argue that most of what's been done and what continues to be done in school districts, in schools, in classrooms is this sustainable innovation, figuring out how to work within the system. What I would argue at this point is I think every district, every school has to have a space for disruptive innovation. So what would you tell a district uh, or building even that is considering creating a space for disruptive innovation? Mm, I love that question. And it's exactly what I think the priority for the movement needs to be, is getting the spaces for disruptive innovation to actually happen. Um, Learner-centered education can't fit inside of the current um, systems and structures. They end up getting so uh, twisted and tangled that they end up looking either like some version of what we're already doing, um, or they are some kind of Frankenstein (laughs) version of themselves that nobody really wants. (laughs) Right. Um, And so for, um, to to create the kind of, um, to to do the kinds of things that you are, for example, that you did in your school by creating a space for young people to really um, break out of the mold. Um, you you did it in a time where you di- you were not constrained by what the curriculum dictated. Um, but what would be great is if districts and schools could create the spaces where it's not limited to a single you know block of time. So how so if you're a district, how do you create the space? Let's say you've got multiple schools in your district. How do you create the space for a um, for a single learning environment to say you know what we want to go in a wholly different direction? And as they're evolving their vision and their model and they're running into constraints, how do you quickly remove those? And once you can see that they're headed in a really um, uh, good direction and that the kids are becoming more enlivened, engaged in their learning, they are um, taking on projects, they're demonstrating competencies, how do you say, you know what, we're going to give you latitude, we're going to remove all of the normal constraints that you would operate in Um, and allow you to operate outside of those for some period of time as you develop the wholly new systems. Um, Sometimes that takes creativity for a district um, with regard to the state, but so many of of the constraints are actually coming from the district. Probably, like, most of them are actually coming from the district level, and they're not policy from a state policy perspective. Um, they are the constraints of how things have always been done. So, um, and one other big piece is that, you know, the characteristics of the current paradigm is a compliance-based system, right? We ask everybody to be compliant, and that puts the district at the top of the pyramid 
pushing everything down. In a learner-centered model, everything needs to be flipped so that the learner is at the top, the educators and the people, the adults closest to the young people are most empowered. Um, and what the district becomes is a service organization asking what the what what do the administrators and educators need to do their job well, as opposed to a compliance-based system. So um, while you might not do that for all of your schools all at once, if you're a bigger district, consider creating an innovation zone where you create a wholly different um, structure to support the school or schools that are doing that work. And if you're a small district, what would it look like to transform from a compliance-based institution to a service-oriented one? Um, and for a school level, how can you promote innovation zones? There's um, um, I, one school that I visited, they had um, a, a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade teacher, and they, they said they had asked to combine classes to group the kids all together. And they created an innovative program that kids could and parents could opt into. Um, and they were able to create a learner-centered um, model inside of the larger program. So that's a great way of doing things. I've heard of teachers combining their classes. <laughs> um, but it does take a principle saying, you know what, we're not going to hold you to the same uh, standards and requirements. We're actually going to learn with you and from you for what you need and how to how to improve what you're doing. And I'm curious if that resonates with you as it, a practitioner doing this work. It it does and uh, I just I want to uh, I want to put my summary on that piece and and that is that um, there are no excuses for why it can't be done. We have to just do it and know that it is an iterative process, but as long as we truly do, because a lot of times we say we're doing this, but we're not, as long as we truly do what's best for kids, it will be successful. Yep, absolutely. And we're finding people doing that with the, you know, that pioneering attitude, that courageous mindset to do what's really right for kids um, is the starting point. Um, it unfortunately at this moment takes breaking out of what's expected and what the normal is and creating a whole new future and a whole new pathway for these young people. Kelly Young, uh, I know how we met and how uh, I can get in touch with you, but for anyone else that's interested in knowing about your work uh, and the work at Education Reimagined, where can they find you? Yes, so at Education Reimagined, with a D on the end, .org is our website. Um, please sign up for our, um, we have a tr tremendous e-magazine called Pioneering. We profile learning environments all over the country. On our website, we also have a map of learner-centered environments. Um, so check all of that out. If you want to email me, I would love to hear from you, Kelly, at educationreimagined.org. All right, Kelly Young, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.